and welcome back to a very special episode of Back in Style. Uh, we are here with Season 2, Episode 9, Arbitrary Law of Twin Peaks. And um, this is going to... Well, we'll introduce first. I'm Logan. I'm Matthew. And this episode is a little bit different. One, because uh, we're recording over Skype right now. Um, we did this also with our What Did Jack Do episode. Um but the reason that it's been so long since our episode of Drive with the Dead Girl is that uh, our whole file had had been lost for this episode. Um, we were both we were really sad about it, but um, we're we're gonna basically just talk about the episode again for you guys. It's still gonna be uh, a great conversation. It's not quite like the the raw reaction that we captured the first time and uh, that we love to do when we can. Um, but you know, I, I think it'll be. Still be a really great conversation. Yeah, nonetheless, this episode is fantastic and has so much material to work with that we will not be at a loss. But it was heartbreaking to lose that file. <laughs> but, you know, and we still have all of our notes from last time. And like we, we remember the things that we said. So we'll try as much to kind of recreate that conversation while also, you know, we've had more time to think about it so we can uh, add a little bit more insight and I, I think it'll be good. Yes, and unlike last time, we have the Bible, the Twin Peaks Bible, as we refer to it. The Essential Wrapped in Plastic, mm. Pathways to Twin Peaks by John Thorne. Oh boy, for so many of our episodes, we've used the plot summaries from this, and uh, while, we are, while we were home over our uh, winter breaks, we just, I, I left it here in my dorm room at school, and so... Uh, we were we were really sad about that. We were having to use uh, IMDb summaries that were just riddled with uh, uh, typos and I think some just incorrectness at some point. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've got this book back um, and it should be good. So I guess with that, we can dive right into our plot summary. Absolutely. All right. Uh, this is episode 16, guest starring James Booth as Ernie Niles and Jane Greer as Vivian Smythe. Uh, written by Mark Frost, Harley Payton, and Robert Engels, directed by Tim Hunter, and edited by Paul Treo. Uh, and thus begins the plot summary. Cooper asks Truman to give him 24 hours to solve the murders. Donna takes Cooper to Mrs. Tremond, but a much younger woman is at the home. She gives an, she gives an envelope to Donna, left for her by Harold. It's a page from Laura's diary, describing a dream on the night of February 21st the exact same dream Cooper later had. Laura also remarks that she will die on the night of February 23rd to escape from Bob. Cooper questions Gerard, who channels Mike. Mike and Bob had a perfect relationship of appetite and satisfaction. Uh, the police search Ben's apartment. Truman is convinced that Ben is the killer. Tojimura visits Ben and reveals herself to be Catherine. He signs the Ghostwood contract over to her in exchange for her testimony. Donna tells Leland about Laura's secret diary. Beth calls Leland to tell him Maddie hasn't come home. Leland dances with Donna, making her uncomfortable. Bob begins to take control, but Donna is unaware. Truman shows up and asks for Leland's help. Donna meets James and tells him about Maddie's death. Distraught, he rides away. Cooper convenes a meeting at the roadhouse with Truman, Ben, Albert, Leland, Ed, Hawk, Bobby, Leo, Major Briggs, and the waiter. Cooper believes the killer is in the room, and says that he will employ a new tool, magic. Cooper remembers Laura telling him in his dream that her father killed her. The giant appears and returns Cooper's ring. 
Cooper pretends to arrest Ben, but instead lures Leland into a cell. Leland slash Bob confesses to the murders. Cooper explains to Truman and Albert how the dream and the other clues revealed Leland to be the killer. Leland recites the Firewalk With Me poem and smashes his head against the door. Leland finally realizes that he killed Laura. He explains how as a boy he invited Bob inside of him, and when Bob was in control, Leland didn't know what was happening. Laura refused to be taken over by Bob, so Bob used Leland to kill her. Cooper comforts Leland as he dies. The next morning, Truman, Albert, and Major Briggs try to comprehend what has happened and whether Bob was real. Truman wonders where Bob is now, and an owl flies through the forest. And that is our plot summary for Arbitrary Law. Ooh, and yeah, so like we said, this is my second time watching the episode, Mm -hmm. and it is, without a doubt, my favorite episode of Twin Peaks. I totally agree. Totally agree. This is yours as well? Yeah, I would okay. say so. This and and upon second viewing, it is one of the greatest TV episodes I have ever seen. I mean, it, it is remarkably brilliant from the very yeah. beginning, and it, it 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 I just it blew my mind. Yeah, and and you know what I mean now when I've said before that if these if seven eight and nine were uh, a movie together, it would be my favorite movie ever. It's... Oh, it'd be a splendid movie. <laughs> What you've said about how season two going down after this, I feel like that's inevitable. I mean, how can you even get better than this? Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah, completely agree. But, I mean, let's just start let's start at the beginning here. Um, so, uh, yeah, this opening shot. Um, interesting opening shot. Very interesting. You see Maddie's body. Yes. Um, Right at the beginning here. And she's, you know, same as Laura. She's wrapped in plastic. Um, and uh, the the police are just discovering her. Um, and it, it kind of is mirroring um, the beginning of the season. Uh, except, you know, the first... Uh, or sorry, the beginning of the series. Uh, the very first episode where Pete comes out and finds uh, Laura's body. It's broad daylight... Um, and you know, it's, it's Pete Martell who's, you know, he's the kindly fisherman and here it's, uh, it's in the nighttime. It's, you know, it's gritty. It's so much, so much darker. Yep. And we've talked about this in a previous episode, I think, but this time Maddie doesn't look that strange, dead, but beautiful that Laura had that look to her. This is flashlights are you know, splayed across her face. It's just, there's dirt and there's there's nothing glamorous about this, and it's yeah. just this feeling of total depravity. Like th- this is the second time. Like when is this gonna stop? It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And you know, Cooper, like Cooper, I feel like is kind of like getting angry at this. Maybe like angry at himself for not being able to stop it. Um, and you know, because he he's sent to this town uh, when this murder happens. We already knew that there was one, you know, years before Teresa Banks. Um, and then, yeah, and then the Laura Palmer murder happens. He's sent there. And then, you know, suddenly this this happens again. And not just anyone. It's uh, Laura's cousin. Yeah. And this changes all the characters. Because as we see in, like, the scene right after this, even Albert's, like, notorious skepticism is gone. You know, we get this great couple of lines from him where he says, you know, stand on the brink of the volcano, do your dance, yeah. like do whatever you like, you need to stop this. I love and that. Yeah. Just, I think that's, a, there's a, uh, some amazing writing in this episode, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and, it, um, 
But moving oh, yeah. from from the Madeline, we get this great shot of uh, Hawk, Albert, Cooper, and Harry doing this kind of slow mo, slow walk forward. But it's not; it's in no way like swaggering or cool. It is like a defeat, a defeatful walk. Like, yeah, and a beautiful track by Angelo Badalamenti that plays over this. It's just oh my god, it's stunning. The, the music in this episode is very interesting. It's much more, and along with the cinematography, it's a lot more cinematic. Mm. Um, just because. The look of this episode is entirely different from the previous episodes. It's got locations like the Double R Diner like are shot in completely different ways. The lighting is much more ominous and just it feels a lot more cinematic. This feels like a movie and and the music I think is just insanely good. Yeah, like we'll get to it but like a scene after this um with Donna and James. Yeah. Um, they're sitting at at a table at a booth. Uh, and I don't think it's the double R diner. It seems to be much darker than that. Yeah. Um, there's like a red tablecloth and yeah, it seems like, you know, why couldn't you just put this like in the double R diner? Like, <laughs> it would have been nice. Um, yeah, but, but everything feels different and that's why I love this episode so much. Mm-hmm. Cause it totally like it, it's so, uh, unique in that sense and it, it fits because of how wild and all the revelations that come out of this episode but it still feels so like quintessential twin peaks oh absolutely yeah and yeah. i think the thing that i love the most about um specifically drive with the dead girl and arbitrary law uh is that we're ahead of cooper at this point um mm-hmm. he he's been like kind of leading us on this journey through the beginning of the series, and now we know more than he does. And um, it's it's interesting. Like like you said, you know, the, the shot of them, the, the men walking, it's not it's not supposed to look cool. Like, they're defeated. They've failed. Um, and <clears throat> it's really interesting to see how Cooper deals with that. And, like, you know, just, just being super lost. He doesn't know what to do, um, is, is what he says. And, you know, Hawk says this great line that you, you don't need to know where the path leads, just follow it. Classic, classic Hawk advice. <laughs> yeah. And the music, too, feels very defeatful. Like, I don't think anywhere in this episode we get the, uh, you know, the jazzy tune that we use for our, our, our theme song. Uh, yeah. Maybe once when they're recounting the dream, but it, it's never in that, like, oh, it's uh, Bobby's walking into the room. Oh, like <laughs> it, it's all so sad and ominous and serious like you feel the stakes here yeah yeah for sure um i mean especially in in this scene later with with donna and leland but we'll definitely talk to that uh, talk about that later Mm -hmm. um you you got to rewatch the entire episode before recording this right yes i i only got to rewatch certain parts uh and i didn't get to watch that one but i i wish i would have because i absolutely love that scene yeah, no, I had to, I rewatched the whole episode, and then, like you were saying, we are ahead of Cooper in this episode. I kind of, I, I, it had been a long time, so I forgot who knows what, who mm-hmm. knows, is, is Madeline dead? What do we know? So I had to go back and watch the last couple episodes' endings oh, yeah. to reorient myself. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, so, I mean, you know, hopping back to this beginning a little bit, um, Cooper says that she had white fox fur in the pockets. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, even this, it still points to Ben Horn because we know he has that taxidermied white fox in his office. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe when Leland was in there, maybe one or two episodes back, he takes a little piece of the fur and he puts it in his pocket. Yep. Um, yep. They use the clues very well to to make it convincing that um, Cooper and the other detectives, you know, w- 
would think it's um, Ben Horn, but then to like reveal to us that like, oh, nope, they're wrong. <laughs> and it works because of uh, Leland's close association with Ben Horn. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, all all signs really point to Ben Horn. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, they, we can't blame them for thinking that it's him. Yes. Uh, at all. Yeah, but... Um, it, cause, and it's a super weird moment when Leland does that. It's like, why did he just steal a little bit of that fur? And it's still like, why did he steal that fur? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, was there a reason for it? I, I don't know. I'm, I know. Was it just a, was it a, a weird Bob mm-hmm. inhabiting moment? Bob is an animal. Bob is an owl fox. <laughs> you know? I mean, well, yeah, it, it's interesting. We know that, um... Leland's hair uh, turns white after he kills Jacques Renault. Maybe it's something yes. about you know the, the white hair, Bob's gray yeah. hair. Yeah. Well, and also it's it's kind of kind of creepy and grotesque that like it's a uh, stuffed animal. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then him having murdered Laura and Madeline, putting them in the bag. I don't know. Some sort of parallel there. Putting them in the bag, putting yeah. the letters under their fingers. Yeah, yeah. It's it very feels much... very like taxidermist, yeah. Yeah, it, it really does. That's an, I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, even and, you know, the clinical even way he our... snaps on the gloves. Even, yes. You know. Yeah, no, even through our first uh, recording this episode, I hadn't thought of that. So Look at this. We're doing this so well already. This is great. Yeah, we're, we're getting to talk about more things than we would have expected. No, yeah. Uh, the first recording was more of a raw, visceral reaction. This may mm-hmm. be like a little bit more uh, sound analysis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so this next scene, we already kind of talked about it, but James comes and he gives a ring to Donna. And I, I it's like a it's like a promise ring or something. I don't know. It's, it's a purity ring. No, purity, it's not, because yeah. they just had raging, passionate sex the last night. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, yeah. <laughs> Sounded I, like a motorcycle. I could, I could sing about last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... I, I do really like the the writing in this episode. I mean, the James and Donna stuff is the James and Donna stuff, <laughs> as it always is. So there's some there's some cheesy moments there. But, yeah, I, I think in the lines of another character, it sounded like a thousand voices singing. Like, that would have that that come off as nice. But I don't know if it, it was delivered best by James. But but still, like, it's, like, like you said, it's very darkly lit. This doesn't feel like the double R. And if it's not the double R... This is a cafe, like, we've never really seen a cafe other than the double R in Twin Peaks. Um, mm-hmm. Everything just feels different. Oh, Yeah, it really does, and it just feels different and, like, unfamiliar and, like, kind of like we're just, we're in a new place now. Like, this is uncharted territory. Yeah, and it's, um, the, it's the contrast. Them being so happy about their relationship and what's going on in this right. super dark lighting. Like yeah. revealing, like yeah, you don't like. We know what's going on. Like your cousin is, or your friend, your friend's cousin is dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In in some ways, this episode is kind of like Twin Peaks Endgame. Yes. Yes. And we, yeah. No. Once we get to that, you know, kind of big reunion scene at the end, it's totally Endgame. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I love that. It's you get to. You get to build it up so much, and then, you know, once you establish these characters, um, you just get to put them all in the same place and, and kind of see what happens and have this excellent climax that happens later in the episode. It's And, and kind of the whole episode is just that climax. Mm, yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah, so still a cringy scene from James and Donna, but it, it means something a little more. Yeah. Um, 
Then there's a scene at uh, the Double R, and uh, we find that Vivian, who's Norma's mother, who's visiting, is very picky with food. Yes. Uh, she hates Norma's omelet. She hates the salmon from the Great Northern. and It's just kind of weird. She would prefer, was it, white veal sausage and uh, <laughs> mushrooms or something? Yeah, and mushrooms, yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah, this is because in the previous episode we saw her mom and uh, her fiancé or whatever on their honeymoon. And we learned about her fiancé's like time in jail or whatever. So this is, you know, assuming things that will be developed later on in the season. Right. And, you know, more importantly, there's this device that's always used where if one thing, uh, one scene happens in the Double R Diner, someone else is going to be in the Double R Diner doing something else. Um and I just love when they can do this. I love they do it with the police station all the time too. They'll have some interrogation going on, and then like some goofy bits with like Lucy and and Dick Tremaine and stuff like that. Like you know, it's it, it's so clever. Like figuring out the order that they're gonna put these scenes in must be such fun. Well, it it, it grounds the show, and, and it yeah. really ingrains you in in the town and the locations. But the one thing that is different in this scene with uh. The mom and um, uh, what's her name? The waitress. Shelly? No, Norma. Yes, Norma. Yeah. It is the way it's shot, which is what I was talking about. Like, mm. this is like the it's the double R clearly, and the lighting is the same, but it just feels different because we get this shot like of her mom with the counter, but it's like raised and it's like from the top, which is just something we've never seen. And then it like shows Norma's reaction, and it's like from underneath the counter, and it just feels like oh, that's that's different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I'd kind of forgotten that. And that there's part. like a lot more symmetry in the shots because when we get the shot of, uh, oh man, I'm blanking on all the names today. You know, Andy. The, Andy, yes, yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. Of Andy, he's like in the center of the frame, and then when we see Major Briggs later on, he's in the center of the frame. Like I just, there's the cinematography is different in this episode. It's yeah. Interesting to point out. Oh yeah, great shot of Major Briggs. You mean at the end? Oh yeah, at the end. <sighs> oh. It's it's great. Yeah. And he's like it's like slightly slanted the shot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, beautiful. Um, but yeah, the scene of Andy, he's speaking French and he's repeating this this French phrase that means I am a lonely soul. And Donna recognizes it. She recognizes it uh, from Mrs. Tremont's grandson, who, if you remember, was uh, uh, David Lynch's son or, or nephew or something. So this was um, a while back. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this was in, this was in season one. This is when Donna decided to... Um, take laura's meals on wheels route oh that that was in season one i think it was either season one or very early season two but um or maybe it was just a long yeah, i think it was the time first episode cause... when we were introduced to harold at least maybe oh, man, oh I think was... yeah yeah i think that's right yeah. i think he might have been well yeah I, i'm not sure i can check up on that but but um, either way like that was a scene that we kind of speculated about but it was hard to for me to like dig that deep into it because it was just really weird and it's interesting that they bring it up now <laughs> exactly yeah and it's great to um it's great to see these scenes um and you know there there are a lot of really weird weird scenes in david lynch um especially like we just talked about with with what did jack do um but there are these there are these bizarre scenes um, and only after you like really sit with it for a little while and like you take some time and try to figure it out and then you go back and watch that, it makes way more sense. Um, 
And so the sequence, I, I mean, I don't know how well you remember that Mrs. Tremond and her grandson, but um, she she gets the meal and then she's like, do you see creamed corn on this plate? And she looks at it and she says, yes, of course I do. And Mrs. Tremon says, I asked for no creamed corn. And when Donna looks back, it's gone and it's just in this little boy's hands. Yeah. And he's just he's just holding it in his hands. Um, and he was saying this phrase, Jayunam Solitaire, I am a lonely soul. Um, which, yeah, I mean, so Donna recognizes that. And mm-hmm. I guess just thinks, all right, I guess we have to go back to Mrs. Tremont's house. Um, because they, they know that Harold is, has committed suicide. Yeah, I think they found that out in the last episode. Yes. Okay. Um, and so they know that he's dead. They know that that was his suicide note. That's why Andy's repeating it. Uh, and so Donna's like, there's got to be some connection between uh, Harold and the Tremonts. And she goes to their house, and it's a totally new lady who's mm-hmm. like 30 years younger. It um, has like sunglasses on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like I don't, I don't have a I don't have a grandson like I don't know who these people are. Yeah, um, have you seen the Matrix? Yes. She reminded me of the Oracle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just some like in the clothing she was wearing and the sunglasses and I don't know something about it just reminded me of the Oracle. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's true. Um, she. Uh, oh, by the way, I looked it up. Harold was introduced in um, the third episode of season two. Okay. Gotcha. It's so early season two. Yeah, which is not quite as long ago as as I would have expected. Seven um, episodes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right. This is an interesting scene because it, I mean, the house is completely different. Mm-hmm. What she saw is not there anymore. But what do she, what she does get is a, a letter from Harold to Donna, and it's a page of Laura's secret diary. Yeah. Um, and. I mean, this is this is intense. This is uh, it describes from her point of view uh, the the dream that we saw Cooper have in um, the the second or third episode of season one, whether you count the pilot. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's this scene is also really interestingly done because they're real close ups on their mouths. Mm -hmm. And I've always really liked this. Oh, I think um, I think it's so well done, and like it's a different type of cinematography that we haven't seen in the show before. The slow zoom in on uh, Cooper's face, and then on the lips yep. of Donna. Yeah, I mean it's it's really, really, really well done. Um, and then Mike, so I'm not quite sure. Maybe you can help me out on the chronology since I didn't just watch this episode. But after this, Mike tells Cooper that he has all the clues he needs. Uh, he describes a golden circle and he says the giant is known to us here. Um, oh, I have one thing to note from the previous scene when, oh, she's, okay, recounting good, the, yeah. when she's recounting the dream because we get that slow fade into the dream and uh, I, I don't know if it's since we saw the dream in season one we get to like see that shot again of Laura speaking into his ear um, into Cooper's ear. Cooper has this old wrinkly man and mm-hmm. like at one point reading Laura's diary Laura says that like she's accepted death and this is the, the night before she's killed and it, she said you know this is the only way for um mm. uh for bob uh to stop like hurting her and i just i don't know i thought that was interesting because i mean they always like the her friends have always said that like i don't know she was like 
they have basically said the same thing, but it was interesting to hear from Laura that, like, maybe, like, she saw this coming. This was not, like, a, you know, Bob, like, kidnapped her and then killed her. Like, this was something that was happening for a long time. And, yeah. like, even though it was terrifying, like, she, I don't know, she she accepted it. I don't know. It's, like, kind of scary to hear it from her own words. Yeah. I mean, the whole time uh, during the rest of the series, she's kind of treated as, like, the object and all these things keep happening to her. That's why I really like Firewalk with me because it it treats her as the subject and she's this uh, protagonist in the movie. And this in this scene, you also get a good bit of that because it, the part I forgot about this scene was that she says um, that she knows that she's going to die. Mm-hmm. And I think that's maybe like in a scene with Jacoby and Bobby, they had kind of um, like talked about that. Like, do, are you saying Laura wanted to die or like she knew that she was going to and like just hearing it from her and like hearing it from the diary is just such a different level mm-hmm. than hearing other people talk about yeah, it. Yeah, you're completely correct. I didn't think of that. She is always the object. So when we get to hear from her voice and, and, and because the show never does any flashbacks like, 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 Oh, to Laura in high school, Laura talking to Donna with the exception of maybe That's the true. one with them dancing on the mountain or whatever, like in season back way back. Oh, right, right. Well, yeah, but that's even that's shown like a as video. a video. Yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, this is, one one of my favorite terms in in film is uh, diegetic. Mm. I'm 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 sure you're familiar with this as a, as a really big film person, but a lot of the time you hear about uh, diegetic music is like um, when they're in the double R diner and Audrey puts uh, the song on the jukebox, um, and non diegetic music is like you know when Cooper is like getting ready in the morning and the, and the music is playing. Um, so that is that video of them dancing on the mountain that's shown diegetically. Yes. Um, I think maybe the only flashback was, uh, Louise Dombrowski dancing on the hook rug. in The last (laughs) episode. Yeah, you're right. And that, 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 I haven't thought about that. that. That's interesting that like, she is always just the person that they are, you know that they are trying to find, trying to unravel the mystery, and it and it isn't done like oh, de- in a deceiving way, as like you don't like, not not like a. I guess it is kind of a deceiving way because we're figuring all these mysteries along the way, but it's not like, oh, Laura like planned her own death, and it, you know, like it's some complete twist. But it's just I don't know. It's interesting how they do it, mm-hmm. which I think yeah. will make Firewalk with me when we're there. All the more interesting. I'm so excited for that. So excited. Uh, so yeah, Mike, uh, so then there's Mike, the scene of Mike talking yes. to Cooper. Is this, they're back at the police station, I assume? Um, yeah. Or in some sort of bed somewhere. Yeah. In a, in a bed somewhere. Okay. I think it might be at the hotel, honestly. Yeah. You know what? It is. It is. Oh, it is. It is. It is. I remember this now. Yeah. Yeah. And he, yep. ta- he tells him about the golden circle. Yes. Which is yeah. the ring that, uh, the giant stole from Cooper. Yep, it's the the perfect uh, relation, symbiotic relationship, right, right. appetite and satisfaction. It's Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, spinning top. Yes, how how Cooper knew that his dream was real. Yes, and he, yeah. and he does the the circle with yeah. with his hands. Um, yeah, that's an it's interesting because at, at one point they start talking about the giant, and Mike says, or Cooper asks him if he knows the. If the giant is real, and Mike says he's as real as as me, which seems to, seems to suggest that the giant exists in this kind of spirit world, maybe the mm-hmm. same world as Bob and Mike. Um. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, 
he says the giant is known to us here i just i love that because it's it sort of ties everything together yeah and it you know in this spirit race there are good spirits and bad spirits i guess <laughs> right the giant yeah. is a good spirit and then but then it leads me to think maybe because the scene right after this is the waiter oh you know you're getting mm. warmer so that like and them having talked about the giant then seeing the waiter like i think i speculated about this before but is the waiter um the corporeal form of the giant you know what i mean like mm. like it, but that would be interesting because like is the giant inhabiting the waiter like the same way that you know Bob inhabits Leland or Mike inhabits Gerard but 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 with Mike and Gerard we never see the separation of the two we never see like Mike the spirit on its own which i guess we would be seeing with the giant which would make sense cuz the giant looks weird and different and kind of, yeah okay i don't know i'm just speculating here <laughs> yeah well of course i can't give you any answers cuz uh, <laughs> we don't spoil the future on this podcast no but, we do not yeah uh, um, but i have a question so cooper yeah. gave the ring to the giant mhm was this was when he was shot when he was shot yeah okay and then uh, the giant will return the ring at the end of the episode. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so there's yeah. So uh, there's this whole scene. Yeah, and then and then there's that waiter scene that you were talking about, and it's the same kind of very slow pace as uh, the beginning of, of season two, where the waiter is. He's just talking in these really slow, spread out lines. He's repeating the same things, and he says that Cooper is getting warmer. Mm-hmm. But in, in in the waiter vernacular, with the milk, <laughs> mm-hmm. this milk will get colder or something, but you'll get warmer or something. And like uh, Major Briggs and Andy, it's in like that very symmetrical shot with him in like the middle of the hallway. Yeah, really, really great cinematography. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so I think after this, uh, they find I'm not sure where this is. Got to be the police station, uh, but they find some phone records. Um, and it's the call that uh, Leland, the call that Leland talked about. Yeah. So, me? yeah. So this is uh, more confirming evidence for the killer being um, uh, Bob Horn or Bob Horn. God. Uh, <laughs> uh, ben. Ben, Hor- ben, yeah. ben Horn. Um, it's showing that on the night of Laura's death, there was a call uh, placed from Ben Horn's office. Um, right. Then, right. Yes. And then we also get Cooper reading the. Uh, results of the blood test of mm-hmm. Ben Horn's blood test, which is interesting because he he shows it to Harry, I think, but then later on in the episode, you know, it's revealed that oh, like those were not, they didn't match up. Yeah, um, it is. But like, yeah. but but like, there's no reaction from Harry in this scene, which is why I just think it's interesting about the blood test. I think. Yeah, I've always tried to um, completely disregard anything that has to do with blood test or blood types in Twin Peaks because that this is the biggest like uh discontinuity in all of Twin Peaks like I'm pretty sure early on like there's something with the blood soaked rag in the train car mm. and uh they find that it's it's like be negative or something it doesn't really matter what it is but then later uh I think they they find out that it doesn't match with Jacques blood type and um I don't know there's some like they say that they say that the thing on the rag is one thing and uh the the 
blood type on of Jacques is a different thing, but they're actually the same or like there's some kind of weird thing going on. And again, I don't even know the specifics of it because yeah, it's because the specifics of the detective work aren't like that doesn't really concern Lynch. You know yeah. I mean? That's like this is not a detective law and order show. So it makes sense that some of those details would be <laughs> missed a bit. <laughs> I mean, it would be nice to have a little more continuity with, you know, the, the blood typing and stuff, but yeah, ultimately, it, you're right, it doesn't matter that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, they, I mean, they now have all this evidence. Um, they say that Maddie died between 10 and midnight, mm-hmm. um, which I'm pretty sure is actually before they took in Ben. Um, oh. But, so, I that... And then also... Um, right, yeah, yeah, okay. I, I remember this scene now. So, the call that Leland... The phone call, that mm-hmm. points to Ben. The White Fox, we know that's in Ben's office. Even though Leland took part of it, that would still point them in Ben's direction. And then um, the, the the fact that Maddie died between 10 and midnight, that was before they took in Ben. So yes. it could have been possible. And then the blood test, they leave that ambiguous because if they would have just shown us right there, that would have been, yes. you know, immediately. So these three things are, you know, more, more evidence to confirm that it is Ben Horn and it makes sense. And I think it kind of puts you on edge a little bit knowing, like, like I hope they don't, like, kill Ben for this and, like, try to, like, I, I, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if they're actually going to find Leland. Because it's been, I mean, the whole last episode was the same thing, us yeah. knowing and them not. So it's like, oh, how much longer is this going to go on? Like, mm-hmm. is the rest of the season going to be Leland running around, like, them trying to still figure out the murderer? Yeah. I don't know. Um there's also then after this there's a little Andy and Lucy scene again this stuff like in the midst of Endgame Twin Peaks Endgame it it just seems not that important but it, um, it has a point because it sets it, up the sprinkler which yes. which will come back at the end of the episode <laughs> right there's a repairman fixing the sprinklers yes uh, which <laughs> I don't think I had noticed that that would actually come back until we talked about this the last time um, yeah yeah. So, yeah, there's the guy fixing the sprinklers. And then later there's there's a moment with Dick Tremaine that is also that you were like, why are they putting this in here? But it's also important. Um, yes. So, yeah, there's there's this little scene. I don't really think it, anything happens there. Um, Not really. But then then there's this great scene of Mr. Tojamura visiting Ben oh. in prison. I, coming back to the show after a while, you know, man, I forgot how good of an actor um the guy who plays Ben Horn is um, Richard Bamer. Yeah, Richard. Ma- what is Richard Bamer? Richard Bamer. Richard Bamer. Bamer. Yeah. So so good. Um, just like that sleazy businessman, and when Mister Torjamora comes in trying to maintain like a level of formality, and, <laughs> and he goes, "Ah, Torjamora san," <laughs> he like keeps on saying that. <laughs> I just it's so funny. Um, yeah, and Piper Laurie is really great in this scene too. And it's funny because like. You know, when we first saw uh, Tojimura, like we had, like I had speculated, like briefly, like oh, maybe it's Catherine in disguise. But I was like, oh, you know, like because it looks kind of goofy. But then I was like, no, it's got to be someone. But now, but then, knowing, knowing that it's Catherine and seeing Tojimura, you're like, wow, that is the fakest disguise ever. I can see right through it. I'm so dumb. <laughs> we weren't we weren't sure if it was just bad makeup because you know the production team was just put bad makeup on her, or if it was supposed to be part of the. You know, part of the show, and it turns out the bad makeup is diegetic. Ah, yes. <laughs> in universe. 
Um, it's in the the diegesis diegesis world. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, well, that term is so useful. It is. I, don't, no, I only I'm, just learned it like last semester. But I'm yeah. taking like an intro to phone class, or mm. like we're talking about all those like stuff. It's very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> really. Um, so Ben signs these papers because Catherine says uh, she'll testify to say that Ben didn't kill Laura uh, if he signs Ghostwood over to her. And Which she he was does. prepared. Right, he does. In a heartbeat. She was prepared to buy it for five million dollars as Totomura. But she now knows that he'll do anything to get out of prison. So he just signs it over to her for free, um, which is great for her. She, she, you know, got what she wanted. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's a lot of fun watching first, first we had this scene a couple episodes back with Pete and this recording of Catherine visiting Ben in prison. And that was really fun. And this is the same thing. It's just, it's so much fun to watch them completely toy with Ben, who's always in the power position. Yeah, the power and it's only now. Complete, completely flipped. It's totally. so funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. To um, see the, the middle class Pete get his revenge and the, the bourgeoisie. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so there's then this amazing uh, mm. uh, Donna scene here. And actually two Donna scenes that the second one isn't, isn't as good. Yes. Um, but this incredible scene um donna goes to visit leland uh to ask about maddie you know, she knows that um she didn't hear about maddie and you know leland gets to call uh, maddie's mom and all the stuff happens but donna is wearing laura's sunglasses so was this intentional i don't know i don't know if donna walked into this scene like what she knows about what she knows about Leland being Bob, or I don't think she knows. Because well, but before I don't, they hadn't even cast suspicions. On no, Mr. no, Leland. they hadn't. There have been weird scenes with with them together, but there was like there was nothing. Yeah, yeah so it, it feels strange if it if it's you know if it's not that because it's like the same thing she did at the prison when uh, James was in there. I think yeah, you know, she came in with the cigarette and the sunglasses. Um. Yeah, it, 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 it's interesting. But nonetheless, it provokes Leland. And this is a, an incredibly tense scene. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think mainly the reason she wears the glasses is just she kind of does that like whenever she's dealing with stuff. It's like, it's the same like when she started smoking. Um, and we have, we have those great lines. When did you start smoking? Since I got so tense. When did you get so tense? Since I started smoking. You know, it's... Yeah. Like, really clever stuff like that. But basically, she puts on this this coolness facade whenever she's, like, really, really in pain. And mm-hmm. you can tell here that she's she's in pain again because uh, she thinks that something might have happened to Maddie. She, of course, confirms those suspicions um, later. But, um, it, yeah, she goes in and... As soon as Leland, there's a lot about power dynamics in this episode. So as soon as Leland yes. like, kind of starts being a little creepier, she's she kind of drops the facade and she's like, "Okay, what's going on here?" Um, but yeah, essentially, yeah, go. go but oh, just the whole time, I was about to, I was going to say Leland's acting, just mm. walking the line between Bob and then Bob, because this whole time it's Bob. Um, but like you can feel like. 
Bob trying to like impersonate Leland, but like not doing it well and still feeling like Bob. Oh, it's just and the movie parts of Leland kind of poking through. It's brilliant to watch. And once like what you're saying, like the the power dynamic. It's I mean us. It's interesting because us, the viewer, we're in the position. We're in a powerful position of knowing what's going on, and Donna not and. Oh my gosh, it's such a tense scene. But yeah, continue. No, yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, there's a really interesting moment where Leland, uh, Donna mentions Laura's secret diary. And Leland goes, well, that's impossible. They found her diary upstairs. And she says, oh no, it was a secret diary. There was a second diary. And he is like, I mean, you can tell he's furious about this. There was, you know, there was a flaw in his plan. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that's ultimately what brings him down basically it's yeah. it's information that they find that they find in the secret diary um <coughs> which, which is another reason which like like flips the power dynamic again because it was like bob controlling laura but at the same time it's like oh the the thing that she did her diary is what ends up saving a lot more people <laughs> yeah right laura and harold basically are still having control over bob like and they're both yeah. dead now and Harold being like one of the weaker characters, right? We've seen. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, yeah, so Leland uh, puts a piece of gum in his mouth. We know the importance of that gum. You like is going to come back in style. Yeah, and I didn't because this being my second time watching it, I didn't realize like, oh, what he says at the end that that's the gum I used to chew, and like it's interesting seeing him chew gum now. But it's a very ominous, very ominous, and like they do. Like, like there's, there's the scene is tense because of the acting from Leland and the exchange between him and Donna, but it's also just tense on its own with the setting because they're in that living room and Lynch is, you know, Lynch is like played with this before, you know, the juxtaposition of these terrible, this terrible, morally depraved side of humans in this like weird domestic suburban environment and just seeing him standing there just just a shot of him standing against a window with a chair in the back knowing that that is where the murder was committed is terrifying yeah and this is what i mean i think i said this in a really early episode how the front of the palmer house just by itself it is just a regular house and then anytime he shows it after like after we learn about leland it, it just got such a different meaning the same with like the staircase with and the fan it's Mm -hmm. it's ridiculous how lynch can do this stuff and and manipulate our association of things but yeah this this brightly lit living room is where he uh is where he killed maddie and where he you know was playing golf in the living room the next morning Um, yeah and to pull out another (laughs) intro to film term Hmm. what, what we're talking about there is the kuleshov effect which I I, I think don't know somewhat, about this. You, it's like if you've seen that like classic video of Alfred Hitchcock where he like explains it and like his film style. He's like, oh, like he shows a picture of like, uh, like a young girl. Then he shows like a photo of like an, uh, of an of an older man like smiling or something. And then like he shows like the photo again, but it's like slightly different. And and then it cuts like back to him, but like the smile means like something entirely different, like Mm. just by showing like the same image, but like with like a different context, it like the, the image becomes like completely different. What is that called? The Kuleshov effect. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I'll need to look into that, but that's, I mean, that's essentially what 
Lynch does it, but instead of like just a series of three images, it's it's a lot grander than that. Um, yeah, you know when he introduces the house at, at the beginning, and he introduces like the concept of this uh, nuclear family here. It's it doesn't seem like anything um, sinister, and then it completely is. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but yeah, but the scene continues. He puts on the big band music, mm-hmm. and he sees himself he... as Bob in the mirror. Yep, and it, really great scene uh, shot because he's chewing the gum, mm-hmm. but Bob isn't, and he's just moving yeah. his mouth in that really gross way. Yeah, that's a really, really well done shot. He starts again. He starts dancing around with Donna, like kind of like he did with Maddie, um, and. You know, and then he kills, or he, or he doesn't kill her. He, he pulls her, really, and then he kills her, and that's the end of the episode. Um, yeah. Well, one thing I want to note is, like, before he, like, grabs her and does all that yeah. stuff, like, we get the cool shot of Bob mm-hmm. screaming next to the music with the lightning strike. Yeah. Which is interesting because only, like, that that, that lightning strike, like, didn't happen. Like, you know, that, that only Bob saw that lightning that's strike. That's true. That was in... <laughs> Bob's diegesis. <laughs> right. Um it's and like there's there's something there. Bob and nature, Bob and animals. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> and and it's always um, interesting to see when figure out when we think that uh or or rather what we think that the victims are seeing. Donna here, I mean, she seems to be just seeing Leland, because otherwise why would she be dancing with him in the living room? But also like did she see that shot of Bob? And if so, like, why doesn't she do anything? And if not, like, why show it? Um, yeah. If it's not her perception, like, I guess maybe it's just, like, Leland's inner, or, like, Bob inside Leland. This is his emotion. Yeah. I don't just, know. like, killing scream. I yeah. don't know. It's Because the, the shot right before he grabs her... Is is the the needle of the record nearing the end? Yeah, and and it's so ominous because you know it's about to go, and the song's about to stop, and the and the needle's about to go over the groove, and it's going to do that weird that yeah. click click click, which is you know the ominous music from two episodes ago. But thank God it never gets there, because yeah, but yeah, I mean this this is just this is a hard to watch scene. I mean yeah. when he grabs her, ooh. No, yeah, it, it's it's disturbing. Yeah, it really is. And um, what's the other thing? Oh, I think I may have alluded to this in a previous episode, but the reason that Bob, or yeah, that Bob killed Maddie and is now trying to kill Donna um, because of the glasses, you know, it's like it's almost like Laura was like his ideal perfect murder. And he just, he needs to recreate that. And so he tries it with her, um, her identical cousin, uh, and then tries it with, uh, you know, her, her best friend who's wearing the same sunglasses. And it's like, at what point is he going to stop, uh, trying to like recreate this? It's almost like, I think last time we talked about this, we may have mentioned, uh, like Vertigo, which we reviewed on CTP, go listen to that episode, um, Vertigo, how he, how the man is kind of trying to create, um, recreate this experience of the woman and make her look like she did, you know? Yeah, that's a great connection you draw there. Um, and it, it, it feels so obsessive, serial killer, 
every single detail has to be correct. Like, I will go back to the scene of the crime and, like, fix things, and there can be no hole. And, it, I mean... Make you dye your hair. So. Yeah, and it's <laughs> like, after Donna reveals that, oh, he's not as empowered as he thinks, that the, the cops are kind of coming up on him with the diary. I mean, he has to he has to destroy her because of that. That's what it feels like, that, and, you know, along with the sunglasses, right. his connection, her connection to Laura. Yeah. Also, just the name of Madeline Ferguson, because Madeline is the name of the woman in Vertigo. And I think Ferguson is someone's uh, Scotty Ferguson. Scotty Ferguson. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Stewart's character's last name. I totally forgot about that. We had mentioned this on the show before. A but long Mad- time yep. ago. Um, totally forgot about that. And, and I just rewatched Vertigo. So yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, and it also works. Um, with that scene where way back when they were trying to draw Jacoby out of his house, uh, and they had Maddie dress up in a blonde wig like Laura. Um, had her change her hair color like it's very those two things are tied together uh really closely but completely yeah yeah um but yeah as we said uh um donna is quite literally saved by the bell uh cooper i'm pretty sure it's cooper and truman they ring the doorbell and um they tell leland that they, they want to take him to the take him to the roadhouse I'm, I'm not sure if they say what they're going for um oh it's uh yeah oh oh it's something some, he says i can't tell you what i can't tell you who but another murder is happening right right because then donna goes uh oh it, it's madeline yeah, yeah she knows that madeline did not arrive at the bus station and this is when she goes and runs to meet james by a lake and again yeah. a new location yeah Feels different definitely James running up, revving up with his uh, thousand people singing motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah, they. I, I, I honestly, I don't hate this exchange of dialogue. Yeah. I, I, I don't mind this scene that much. But yeah, it's like James. We could have helped her. No, we couldn't. Yes, we could. No, yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna run I'm, away because I'm sad. I specifically <laughs> mentioned this exchange last time, but James says like, James gets really mad when when he finds out that Maddie is dead. Like neither one of them cries. I, I don't think at maddie's death it's more like a state of shock yeah, yeah. but he goes oh, we could have helped her and donna goes how and james goes we could have helped her and donna goes how and it's like i don't know if they i like to imagine that was just like they forgot their lines and just started repeating stuff and uh uh lynch just kept it in because he does stuff like that we know that i'm sure that was uh yeah i mean it's, it's the opposite of what happened to uh, us when we were in the mousetrap and we skipped several pages of the script. Man, whose fault was that? I have no bozo. idea. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, for, for our listeners, we were we were in uh, Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap together in high school and it was our senior year. And uh, there are a lot of lines in the show that I, I, do, I don't blame us for this. There are a lot of no period. There were a lot of lines in the show. Yes, that's true. (laughs) But also, a lot of lines in the show were just like pretty similar, Um, and so you Matt especially had like a lot of the really long expositiony lines, and so when you get to a certain point in the line, you kind of forget like whether whether to keep going with that one or like to go to a different line that's like basically the same thing, and so yep. It just ended up happening that during one of the shows, we skipped how much? Like 10 pages of dialogue? 
significant portion. Significant portion uh, of the show. And I don't think it was anything too important, so hopefully the audience wasn't too confused. But yeah. There was like one important line with the reveal at the end, but right. you know what? It's all right. Oh, that's true. Yeah. There's a well, we can't we can't reveal the secret, but... Um. Oh, yeah, of course. You should have seen the show. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, go to see it at, at uh, you know, somewhere else if it's playing. Support local theater, please. Um, yeah. But yes, we, we anyway, digress. <laughs> we digress. Uh, and then James just basically takes off uh he's done with done with twin peaks uh uh the town sadly not the show he's gonna stick around <laughs> um, damn but yeah he's, we go to the the roadhouse now mm-hmm. right yeah well donna first donna didn't cry about maddie but of course she's she's sobbing over how james just left her but the range of emotions i mean from like we had great sex so then to this, mm-hmm. it's just they bounce around a lot. They really do, yeah. Um, yeah, and then, of course, this excellent scene with the roadhouse. Uh, and we get this cool exterior shot of the roadhouse where we see a lightning bolt strike. Hmm. Which, to me, I read that as Bob's anger. Like, everyone coming together and Cooper starting to put the pieces together. Like, that lightning bolt was Bob like, Arr! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah, I mean they they sort of established Bob and Lightning. We know Bob and Bob and Fire, and I think Bob controls Lightning. All right, Bob. That's Bob is Thor confirmed. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and, and yeah, I mean I would assume that he would be they like find Thor's hammer at the train car. <laughs> who would uh, Coop, she, she was bludgeoned. Cooper would be worthy. Cooper would be worthy. Yes. Um, maybe Truman as well. I'm not sure. Maybe. Although, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I, Speaking of the Avengers, we get our Endgame reunion. Exactly, right? yes. All these characters. I It was listed in uh, it's listed in the book here. Let me pick up, the, pick up our Bible again. Oh, no, it, it skipped to another page. Well, that's all right. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah, it, it, we, we show... We show the roadhouse. Ben is sitting at this table cracking peanuts. I don't, he, is he handcuffed? I think he might uh, be yeah, he is. Table. Um, and I, I love just the, the blocking of everyone. It's great. The horn is on the other side of the room, you know, uh, lit under this, like, lamp above the table cracking peanuts. Albert and Harry are at the bar watching him. And it's just this and, – and, and all the, the camera angle, angles are all tilted – which it makes it feel like the old Batman TV show, which just reminds me more of superhero stuff. Which wow. thought of that game. Wait, that's true. Yeah, I I didn't think about that. It's very it's very similar. Kind of looks like that, but it's not like not as tonally as Batman. Yeah, but yeah, it just I don't know. Yeah, it works. No, I agree with you. Yeah, um, there's a shot of Cooper and Albert at the bar. The lightning cracks, like you said, as Truman comes in with Leland. Um. And then we've got the great red curtain yes. just in the background where we knew like where the giant appeared mm-hmm. previously. Yeah. Uh, Ed comes in and he helps them clean the room, clear the room. Uh, Hawk, Bobby and Leo enter and Leo is told to keep quiet in the corner. And then there's this great, <laughs> uh, great exposition dialogue from Cooper. Uh, and even when it's just pure exposition, I don't care because the script here is so good. And Kyle McLaughlin is such a great actor. He sells it. He yeah. says, as a member of the Bureau, I spend most of my time seeking simple answers to difficult questions. In the pursuit of Laura's killer, I have employed Bureau guidelines, deductive technique, Tibetan method, instinct, and luck. 
but now I find myself in need of something new, which for lack of a better word, we shall call magic. And here, Lightning strikes. Lightning strikes, <laughs> yes, at the perfect, the most cheesy moment. Um, <laughs> and it's just, this, this is so exciting. This scene is so exciting. It is, because he's close, and you know it, and he knows yep. it. Yeah. But at the same time, he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know. Like he says, like, where do we go from here? I don't That's know. That's true. I, I frankly, I do not. Like know. Hawk said, he doesn't know where it leads. He's just following it. Um, and but he knows that the killer is in the room, and that's really and exciting. He is. Yeah. Leland is a couple feet away from yeah. him, and we get you know these shots of Leland, and it's just terrifying. And then actually, after this, Major Briggs brings the waiter in. Um, yes, and oh, I think we severely undervalued Major Briggs acting. Oh. Because, like, he, he really, like, kind of dips out of Twin Peaks. Like, one in the, like, first episodes we see him, like, he kind of, like, we don't really see him again. Pops up here. This man is fantastic in this episode. Mm. So good. And I love the way he's just, oh, this kindly gentleman flagged me down and asked me to escort him to here. <laughs> and it's just like, oh. And he says, you're, you're right on time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yes, this. And Cooper's like, yes, it's coming together. I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah and, and I love the... I also love that Major Briggs gets to be a part of the last scene, which is just, it's such an incredible scene. It's, it's just dialogue, but it's got to be one of the, one of the greatest scenes ever composed for television. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, but uh, he brings in this waiter and here we hit the nail on the head a little bit more. Uh, and the waiter says to Leland, that gum you like is going to come back in style. And mm. this is... Yeah, I mean, and this is our show. This is yeah, back in style. Here we are. This is this is, I mean, the second time that this phrase has been uttered, right? Because it, it was uttered by the dwarf in the dream. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and it's, I don't know. It feels so. It feels like everything is coming full circle. Yeah, and it just oh, it feels so good. And I think right after it's he the, says it's that, it's the perfect circle, golden circle. It is the golden circle. Yes. Uh, which is why it's weird that the last that the last part of the season is just kind of it's like is not this yeah right it's like the golden circle and then there's like a little like misshapen tail that's like off the end like uh, it's that's just a growth deformity it's it's weird but um, yeah yeah and then um yeah but Leland says a line about how he used to chew that gum when he was a kid uh we know that his childhood really has a lot to do with Bob and um, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So this, so like at this point in the Leland Bob, uh, like relationship question mark. Like it, it seems like Bob says that Leland's kind of like deteriorating. It seems like all we're really seeing in this episode is Bob. Mm. So, but like that seems to be Leland, right? Saying that line. Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. Because I, I I see no reason for Bob to say that line, to make Leland say that line. Because, like, right? I mean, because maybe he are. would just make him say it. Um, just to... Well, because that's kind of like a... Well, that leads... Because then that like leads into like the giant coming in. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, he's not really... He's not acting like Leland, I wouldn't say. I would say he's acting much more like Bob. Like, he's, he's way more, um, like this this plastered smile like way too like way too cheerful like oh 
I used to have that gum back when I was a kid. Like it's very, yeah. it seems very artificial that I can, I can imagine Bob kind of producing that. Um, but either way there, after that line, there are these stills of everyone in the room, just, just still shots of like a second of each person with the lightning <clears throat> bolt flash, like across their mm-hmm. face. And Cooper finds himself yet again in the dream. And he finally hears what he forgot all those episodes ago that Laura told him that her father killed her. This scene is just brilliant. Yeah. I mean, you see the giant appear. Everyone else fades away. You see the hand. The ring's on the hand. The hand fades away. The ring falls to the ground. Clatter, clatter, clatter. And we get, when we cut to the dream. And we hear the words that she said. It is, I mean, this is just brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's something that we've been waiting for for so long. The dream happened so early on, if you think about it. Um, very early. Very early on. And then he immediately forgets what she said in the dream. And we're like, oh, come on, Cooper. And now he's finally figuring it out again. Um, yeah. I, and it's interesting because I like him forgetting the dream. Like, it seems plausible because, like, that's such a, like, common thing. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, you just, like, you kind of forget certain aspects of dreams. And, like, it, it kind of works. And then also with, like, when Laura, when she's explaining why she had so much trouble, like, spitting her words out in the dream, it makes sense. It's like, you know, the dream where you're running away, but you can't run away fast mm-hmm. enough. Like, like these, like, you're trying to complete a simple action, but, like, it's so much harder. And, like, it just makes so much sense. And it feels very, like, relatable. Yeah, I mean, I get the same kind of thing from a lot of these like these spirits um how they're well we know the way that mike talks and the way that the giant talks too it's it's always very cryptic and they're both kind of like they're both good spirits like they're really trying to help cooper but the giant like we get the sense that the giant has like certain rules he needs to abide by that when when he comes to see cooper after he gets shot he can't just say like hey it was Leland. Go find Leland. He is inhabited by Bob. Like he can't give him the straight answers. He's got a. Mm-hmm. He's got like. It's almost like he's just. That's what he's saying, and what's coming out is like these weird riddles. Um, and then also like how how Laura's talking about how she tried to talk in the dream, and it was coming out backwards. And like, I don't know. I think that's. Like they're, they're in this like other other world and. They're trying to communicate, and they just can't. Um, and I think that's a really yeah. interesting device that, that keeps coming back. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But then right after this, like, this whole, like, dream kind of fades away. And uh, Cooper tells, talk to escort um, uh, Ben Horn to the police station, kind of indicating that, oh, yep, we're going to charge him. Mm-hmm. He's the murderer. But at least that, you know, that's take kind of Leland as your lawyer. Lawyer yep. Leland. Um, and I love how Leland kind of goes along with it. And he's like, oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I know, yes, of course. Because, oh, oh. I mean, Bob's hubris. You know, he thinks he's in the, he's, thinks he's in the clear now. Yeah, he does. Um, Cooper gives this signature thumbs up shot that's just, it's an immortal shot. And then the waiter gives his little Wait, salute. With the lightning strike, too. Yeah, it's, <laughs> he just like does that smile. Uh. It's It's like. I got it. You know what I mean? It's like this unspoken, like, like I know who it is. Mm-hmm. I got it under control. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's 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 great. It perfectly captures their feelings in that moment. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so they bring Ben to the station uh, with Leland, and instead they, they trick Leland, they shove him into the cell, 
and he's now just he's fully Bob. Um, with like without a moment's notice, I mean the doors close and he starts screaming. He's howling, yeah. And he runs into the walls, tearing his shirt. Mm. Ugh. Um, and he goes, "I suppose you want to ask him some questions." Huh? And I feel I just find it so eerie that he says the word he he uses the word him oh instead my gosh. of it's yeah instead of me because he's talking it, about Leland. They want to ask Leland questions, and he's Bob. And oh god. Yeah, the, I mean Richard Bamer is the actor's name, correct? For that's Ben. For uh, oh, that's ben. Leland okay. is uh, Ray Wise. Ray Wise. Oh man, Doctor okay. Pepper, spokesperson. Ray Wise. Yes. Yeah. Ray Wise, just brilliant. They chain him in in this chair mm-hmm. or whatever, and his hair is completely like standing up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like someone just like rubbed a balloon against it. Like it's super spiked. He's got this terrible evil grin on his face. He's sweating so much. I mean, Hawk, you, the stoic Hawk has a gun pointed on him and is, like, visibly, like, shaken by what is going oh, on. Oh, yeah. Ooh. And rightfully so. I mean, the things he says, you know, he says, oh, I have this thing for knives. Like, what happened to you in Pittsburgh, Coop? We don't know what happened to Cooper in Pittsburgh. Yeah, but, I, I'm interested to see where that And clearly, <laughs> Bob knows. and Yeah, which is interesting. And, I mean, did Bob play a role? Right, and, and Cooper seems surprised that Bob knows. Um, mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I, I. That's a really cool. Um, it's like I'm trying to think of like the equivalent of like planting a seed for a new, a n- more new plots to sprout. Like you know. Yeah, you can like a couple times in this episode, you can tell Lynch is kind of looking forward to the future as well. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we got to think of something. Like, this is like, great. This is like a climax, but like, we've got to set people for what's going to happen yeah, in the next like, half. Post episode nine has to have some sort of plot, and you can see him kind of dropping seeds. There, yeah, yeah, there. for sure. But oh man, th- I mean, this scene is brilliant because you get you know did you, did you kill Laura Palmer? I think is what he mm-hmm. asked first, and. He just like hoops and yells and screams, and then he just like this terrible like look on his face, and just completely goes back down. That is, a, or like I that's t- a yes. like that's a yes, that's a yes, and it's like somewhat comical even, but it's just oh my god, yeah. And he says just the most diabolical thing imaginable, which is Leland has been a good vessel, but he has a large hole where his conscience was, and then he, Bob plans to pull the ripcord. And leave Leland's body, and then he says, "Watch Leland remember." Oh my God, the fact that he inhabited this man, made him rape and murder his own daughter, and then is now going to to watch all of the these memories come back to him at once, and just watch his psyche get completely destroyed. Like it's the most it's the most evil thing imaginable. It's so terrifying. Like. It, it's such a different kind of evil that's, like, typically portrayed in, like, movies. Like, this is just so much deeper than anything else I've ever seen. Any other depiction of evil. Like, this just feels... Oh, my God. Like, just, like, the the, the physical discomfort that arises from it. Like, the he is inhabiting another mm-hmm. person's body. And then just this idea of, I am going to leave him and everything is going to come back. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly much deeper than uh, really any other portrayal, I think. Yeah. Oh, and I love his response to, did you kill Madeline? He's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, you know, I think maybe probably yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. You know, what do you think? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, he's just ooh, pure evil. This is like and it, this is like Ray Wise's like last chance to shine. This is his big finale. Um, th- this is Ray Wise's uh, magnum. Opus. Yes, <laughs> this is the scene. Yeah, this is what that's that's career defining. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so then we take a little break from Bob. And we go to a scene that seems really completely irrelevant. Um, Andy and... Which in some respects it is. In some respects it is completely, yeah. But uh, Lucy is telling Andy and Dick that she's going to keep the baby and she's going to... We haven't talked about that at all, but Lucy's pregnant. Um, She's going to have a baby and uh, she'll decide which one of them is going to be the father. She says it doesn't matter biologically uh, who's the father, but it's just... it's a question of who she wants uh to raise her child and you know nice sentiment and then uh dick Tremaine just starts smoking and uh it doesn't make any sense except for the fact that he sets off the fire alarms and i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure it's like actually computer generated smoke that we see because it looks kind of fake like but it. it's wafting off to the smoke detectors, and we had the scene with the faulty smoke detectors before, and so, um, yeah, uh, and then Cooper is giving, like, Cooper's giving a lot of explanations, um, yes. and this is, like, this is great. This is, like, where you find out, like, yeah, this is what everything in the dream meant, like, this is what every single clue along the way has meant. It's just such a great recap. It's fantastic, because earlier... In one of the first episodes of, of the back in style show, like as I was trying to piece together everything in Twin Peaks, you were like explaining how Lynch throws a lot of things into this show, but sometimes, like if you know where to look, like that, like sometimes the the simplest the path, the simplest you know the the simplest path you can take will lead you to the solution. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you just kind of like have to weed through everything else, and everything that Cooper's talking about is stuff that we have speculated about, but like never like for me never been a hundred percent because I've been like, well, I, you know, th- it could be this, but this seems a bit too obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's got to be this random scene over here. But I love how he just says it like his hair turned gray, like Bob. He starts dancing, like how the uh, you know midget danced in the dream, and it's like oh like. Yeah, like this is all things I've thought of, and it was this. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of things that we've talked about, but uh, it's really nice when we see them all in one place, and we're like, okay, we did really well. We're really good at like, this. Oh man, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's great, and I mean, I will tell you, this gets a lot harder with the return because there are so many things. Mean, the return is, it's a real challenge to watch because it's there are so many things that you're not expecting to come back that do and things that like they spend so much time on and you're like oh okay this is like a huge plot point and then they don't do anything with it so like there are a lot of red herrings and it's really hard to tell what's what but yeah um but for now we're here we get this amazing recap um Cooper, yeah, exactly. He says that um, he says that the dwarf had danced and Leland danced. Uh, he killed Jacques and his hair turned gray. He mentioned the letters R-O-B-T, which were under the fingernails. Uh, says he was trying to spell Robertson. Um, and then he says the fire walk with me. Uh, he hears Leland saying the fire walk with me, Ryan. He, and mm. he will kill again. 
and then the and then the sprinkler goes off and Bob basically kills Leland. He just yeah. he smashes his head into the wall and that's oh. it, you know. And it, and it works, you know, the, the rain um making him go crazy because fire walk with me. The the scent of gasoline, you know, him being like fire. Even the lightning. Yeah, the lightning, exactly. So the this rain like being his like kryptonite kind of uh makes sense but oh god what like i remember the first time watching this scene like once you start hearing and seeing him run into the wall i was like oh he is like he's pulling the ripcord this this is where it's happening and that's i just that's terrifying that's such a disturbing thing yeah and and we get like you know they're trying to unlock the door he drops the keys it's slippery and when they finally do open it up this terribly like gross shot of not not just blood on the door but like you see like a piece of hair a piece of scalp yeah that's a lot there's something about imagery of blood and hair that's really unnerving either even like the blood and feathers that we saw when um when waldo was killed in the police station remember the 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 wet the blood soaked feathers and the blood all over the donuts this nice display of donuts in the police station waldo or the uh (laughs) <laughs> or to make to make a connection here, what was it the the soft breasts of the chicken oh, yes. underneath her feathers? Yes. <laughs> oh, I'd forgotten about that line. I was happy that I forgot about that line. Wow, yes. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of my friends at school to watch that, and they have really varying opinions on on this. We're, well, quick sidebar, like to what object to, but um, like it's mostly just confusing the 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 whole piece of art is just completely confusing um it until is. you really once you really get to talk about it and you have a deep dive into it for 40 minutes like we did it starts to make a little more sense but um yeah i mean i've i've heard really positive feedback and some really negative feedback but um yeah i mean Dang. it's just, it, it lynch is not for everyone you know that's fair um but yeah Anyway, go listen. Go listen to our last episode. What did Jack do? Uh, also, a really fun one. But um, Ray Wise, going back to Ray Wise, he gets to play complete opposites here. Um, this is why he's one of the greatest actors on the show, is because he's not just doing one thing. He gets to basically through the whole uh, rest of the series, he's playing kind of a mix between Leland and Bob, I would say. And here he gets to play completely yeah. Bob and then he gets to play completely Leland. And um, it's, it's this enraged, like almost like uh, he's on a high kind of Bob. And then uh, this absolutely devastated Leland. It's, it's incredible. And he does both so well. Yeah. And it, it never feels gimmicky. Mm. You know, the, the two, the, two roles he has to pay play and never feels like a like if you've seen the really bad adam sandler movie jack and jill where i think he plays it's so bizarre i was um, just talking about that with some friends at dinner tonight i haven't seen it but i no see i haven't it's seen such it such an but iconic like, I just, premise I just, yeah adam sandler like, plays his own sister god what a like typically <laughs> <laughs> typically in roles like that it's like you never get to see like the actor like you have to like literally like mix those two personas and then like toe that line, which is what Ray Wise mm-hmm. does for the majority of this show. Like just like be a bit of both. 
it, like it, it, I think that that's what makes it so much more nuanced. Yeah. But then here we completely this is Leland, yeah. and this is this is. I mean, this is is this the first time we have seen completely Leland? It might be in the in the entire show, because I mean, there have been times when you know I I think it's just Leland talking, but like Bob is still there, you know, right? Bob is still inhabiting. Bob motivates a lot of him. Yeah, yeah. So this is, and it, I mean, this 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 last whatever eight minutes mm-hmm. of the episode is the greatest eight minutes of this episode and the greatest eight minutes of the show thus yeah, far. I completely agree. Um, we have this incredible testimony about how um, Bob, you know, how as a child he was weak and he saw this man Bob in his dreams and he wanted to play. And the line that I think I brought this up last time, uh, it's it's such a such a disturbing thing to think about, but it's it's important to think about in this episode um what's um sorry i need to figure out how to phrase this it's important it's important to consider um both ways of looking at this saga of bob of whether he's you know he's he really is this evil spirit that inhabited leland forced him to do everything or is bob just kind of generally the evil that men do is bob real is he more of a more of a metaphor m- metaphorical thing <laughs> um uh is he yeah and so this line when leland said that he was too weak and he came inside me and this could just mean you know this is bob inhabiting leland's body or it could literally mean that uh uh this old man like sexually assaulted him and this is just the manifestation of that in adulthood. Um, it's uncomfortable to think about, but like it's, you're, the, this episode completely broadens the lens yeah. of the show from small town murder with like supernatural inklings to, like, like you said, a metaphor for the evil that men do, the, the trauma passed down from generations, right? The hereditability of, of, of trauma it's i mean this this dialogue is so sad and it's i mean knowing now that you know that that it was bob mm-hmm. i mean who who killed laura and just seeing leland completely stripped of bob it's so heartbreaking yeah yeah um, um if i yeah. yeah like you said this show isn't about the supernatural it's not about these spirits who live in you know this red room in a far off place it's and it's heart it's a story about abuse um and leland is abused as a child and then he you know passes that on and laura really is kind of a saint in the way that she ends it um she ends this cycle of of like you said the trauma passed down through generations um, by dying, she makes sure that this is not gonna keep continuing. Um, and I love the idea that um, Leland says that they wanted, or that Bob wanted others um, that they could use, and they wanted Laura, like they wanted to inhabit Laura, um, and they couldn't because she was too strong, um, and she was strong enough to resist the abuse and 
essentially make the statement like, no, this isn't going to be me. Like, I'm not going to continue this cycle. Um, mm. And so that's why they killed her. That's so powerful. It's... It, she's stopping the cycle. She, like you said, she was too strong. They tried, and they said that they would kill her if it, it, if they couldn't take her body. But she was too strong. Oh my god, it's heartbreaking. It, it is. It is. And um, the other thing, like, kind of at the beginning of the show, Laura's really put up on a pedestal in this community, and she's seen as like, you know, she's homecoming queen. She's this wonderful like meals on wheels person that everyone really looks up to and then we kind of start seeing her darker side and like you know her her drug abuse her like um her involvement with like these strange guys like Jacques Renault and Leo Johnson and like we're like what is going on with this girl's like secret life and through this testimony we really realized that through all of that she was the victim um mm-hmm. and in fact it's it's a testament to how strong she was and how pure her her soul is basically that she was able to resist all this and um she she died to to put an end to it um and obviously yeah. this doesn't like end all evil as we'll see in the very last shot of this episode that the evil is still out there um but she was strong enough to to resist it and yeah i think that's really powerful and then after this whole testimony um cooper is helping leland into the light in a really beautiful scene really emotional scene um and this is the words that cooper says this is like a real tibetan uh monastic mantra here yeah no it's it feels so beautiful knowing like the arc of Leland's character, like it's so, like, even like like you said, this episode ends with evil is yeah. still out there. But this is a moment where it's some 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 sort of like peacefulness ish resolution is reached where Leland is able to be reunited, kind of with his daughter in, but without mm-hmm. Bob being there. Yeah, it, it yeah it's, yeah it's it's hope it's hopeful. And then, I mean, before mm-hmm. this dark ending, it's it's really a hopeful moment. Um, it's sad, but um, it's really, yeah. And, and the, the image that Cooper paints, um, like, go towards mm-hmm. the light. Do you see Laura? And he says, oh, I see Laura, and she's beautiful. I just, oh, it made me think of the image which is on top of the wrapped in plastic book of, like, this light in the middle of the forest i just imagine like laura there surrounded by shadows and even like coming towards that light yeah yes. maybe we'll, maybe we'll post <laughs> a picture of that on on our uh, instagram or twitter hey, so you can see what we're talking you know, about yeah. actually actually that's a good idea um it just it feels cathartic yeah it really does it really does mm-hmm. um and we and we, we see him slip away mm-hmm. and he dies there in the rain yeah and then the rain stops of course after Almost like right after he dies. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure exactly like what the significance of that is. But, you know, it started, I guess maybe the rain kind of helped to extinguish Bob in a sense. And then yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah. You know, doesn't, need to, doesn't need to be there anymore. Bob is gone. But, but is he really? Because um, we have this 
this great shot again, this symmetrical shot of Major Briggs standing in the woods. Um, and then we get this amazing scene of dialogue. Um, My favorite yeah. scene yeah, in the show. I would agree. It's insane. You've got this this music in the back, this ominous music, this like sad music. And you feel like like the men there that like you've just been through just been through it like it's like the morning after like i doubt they slept that night you know you just feel like you've seen so much and like this is just them kind of like recapping being like what what is bob what is going on in this town how are we going to stop and it's uh, amazing lines and it's such an interesting question of um is it easier to believe that there's this demon spirit out there who's inhabiting people or that this man was just crazy and raped and murdered his own daughter like it's these are really tough questions that I'm glad are asked in this scene. Yes. Um, so, yeah, and, and we're left. Albert leaves us with this idea of Bob maybe just being the evil that men do. And um, that's a really good thing to keep in, in, in the back of your head throughout the rest of the series, for sure. Um, it's just, that's kind of, I feel like that's kind of like the underlying idea behind all of it it's kind of this is a rare moment where lynch actually decodes some of his work um and he's like yeah this is like you know you you decide basically is is bob real are you supposed to take this story to be like a a cool sci-fi story or is it just a statement about like the evil that men do um it's which is a very interesting question i don't know the answer to keeping that in mind for the rest of the show that that's an interesting point to make um the evil that men do i i'm assuming maybe the show will continue further in this in this area maybe exploring bob more as a metaphor instead because i mean i debated before you know the stuff with major briggs and how he said he picks up like space junk or whatever and i was like are we moving in like a alien supernatural direction which i guess maybe now is not so true i mean maybe you know, it's 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 more ambiguous. Like there are still there are still these supernatural elements, but um, it's kind of more of just like this is Lynch's way of showing it. Um, this mm-hmm. is it's like how you know you can you can watch this basically and see like this. Uh, sci-fi fantasy stuff going on and like it's a cool noir mystery but there's i think this scene is more of his way of saying that it has a purpose um that it's representing you know and it has its purpose is to to represent a deeper message yeah than just like what's obvious yeah which i think is important to realize because he he's he has such strong messages in all of his work and uh so i think it's i don't know i think that's is important that this scene exists to kind of lead us in that direction but we're left with this um open-ended question of if we had bob and he left leland alone where is he now Mm, who i mean that that begs the question will he inhabit someone else in the show and um yeah and we get this this um i don't even know i don't I don't want to call it a scene it's barely a scene it's just like these super disorienting purple shots of the woods and then 
this owl that's like in negative color flies up and then we see it it's just it's an owl um and that's yeah yeah it's like that scene scares me so much at the end it's like this it's like the woods but it's like at one point it looks like there's like a crash car like there it looks like there's like just broken Hmm. branches everything and it's just i'm already scared of the woods to begin with so like when like harry was talking about you know i've lived in these woods a long time i've seen a lot of strange things and like i don't know the idea of like this evil existing in the woods i just find so terrifying (laughs) yeah i agree um but uh, back to what i was saying i mean i'm trying to think for the rest of the show will he inhabit someone else because let's say he doesn't i mean I mean, unless the show gets really, really bad and just follows <laughs> Tremaine and uh, yeah. all these It just side forgets characters. about Bob. <laughs> I mean, I would really hope that doesn't yeah. happen. Um, but, like, I guess if Bob doesn't inhabit someone else, I don't really know how you track Bob down. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Bob and all this supernatural stuff, it's, it's always there underlying everything. Um, even if, like, even if that's not the plot of the episode, it's... It's it's always there, and we know now yeah. that it's all that it's always there, and that the the evil that men do will always exist and will always be out there, um, and you know it's their job to stop it. So Cooper is gonna keep trying to do that. Yeah, but but with that, the episode the episode ends. Yeah, and the shot of the owl is it's it's a period and it's a question mark. I think mm. on the episode. Yeah, um, it's. And we've speculated about owls before. I mean, because we get a lot of shots of owls at the beginning of episodes, at the beginning of scenes. Right. I think at one point an owl watches an interaction between Horn and Leo, mm. if I remember correctly, in the woods or some other. And it's, you know, was that Bob or just, you know, the spirit world watching the town? And we talked about maybe uh, the possibility of the theory of, of Mike um, jumping out of the window and flying away as an owl. <laughs> we don't know. Yes. Um, which i still think something else is going to happen with that still think yeah maybe i because I, I like from the way you talk about the rest of season two i mean i i'm just expecting some bonkers stuff so. there is some bonkers stuff but the oh, thing I'm is so there's always at least one plot that you that you really like that's really fascinating and it really keeps you going and those seeds have already been planted um in this first part of the second season. And th- there there will be some really good stuff to talk about. There will be uh, some really bad stuff to talk about. That's going to be more funny to talk about. Um, but yeah, I, I really hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Um, again, we It's t- been a long one. It has been a long one. Yeah. we. I think we did a pretty good job not only recreating what we talked about last time and, and remembering all of that. But also getting to add on a little bit. Because this was definitely more than we talked about the first time. Yeah, I agree. It, it turned out better than I expected. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, with episode 10 and following episodes, we shall uh, continue with our regular format. Um, we won't corrupt any more files. We won't lose Hopefully, anything. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. Um, we just got to make sure we, we upload it to Podbean right away. So we're... No, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so this has, this has been episode... What is this? Episode 6... 17? Oh, overall of uh, um, of back in style, of back in style. Uh, I believe it would be seventeen. Uh, or actually, I think it's eight. No, it's eighteen. Because what would Jack do with seventeen? Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Possibly. Maybe. Oh, oh, oh. Sixteen was what would Jack do? Okay. Drive with the dead girl was seventeen. So, oh. so this is yeah. So this is episode eighteen. Um, <sighs> let's see. We're gonna have 
Uh, and it, this puts us at the roughly halfway point for season two. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, we have 13 more episodes in season two, I'm pretty sure. Um, it, it gets so good again at the end. Um, so that's really exciting. So 13 more episodes of that, and then we'll have... Uh, uh, we'll do Firewalk with me, and then all 18 parts of The Return. We're really excited for all this. Um, let's uh, Let's talk about our other shows a little bit. We do... Um, the Cinematog podcast uh, with uh, Matt and I are on that, and then also um, with Ryan and Brendan. And uh, that's a lot of fun. We're planning to actually do some episodes of that really, really soon. Um, we're hoping to keep going with our DC series um, with uh, Shazam, Joker, and then Birds of Prey, which is a, a fairly new release. Um, we have pretty long discussions, uh, about movies. Do you want to talk about, um, CTP Movie Journal? Um, yeah, CTP Movie Journal is kind of the, uh, sh- uh, mini version of CTP. It's just me CTP and Floyd. CTP CTP Light, as we like to refer to, with the half calories as all our previous yeah. other versions. Um, yeah, it's me and Floyd reviewing mostly, uh, new releases that come out. We did a couple episodes uh, on the Oscars, definitely check those mm, out. Oscar amazing reactions, episodes. Oscar predictions. Um, top 20 is a long listen, but it's well worth it. I would recommend Top that. 20 is great. Always listen to that. A lot of editing goes into that. So yeah, there's just a CTP on a smaller scale. Yeah. Uh, and then we also do Stop, Wait, What? Which is our comedy podcast. Um, and we have one that we're uh, planning to release pretty soon. Uh, that'll be... I'm not, I'm not sure if that'll be out by the time this comes out or, or not but yeah we'll have to we'll have to figure that out but um yeah i think i think that's all we got uh let's plug our yeah. our social medias do you want to do this yeah uh it's gonna be we're on instagram and twitter it's uh at twisted mug media yeah, on both of those both. um definitely go check those out um yeah as, as we say there is a there's a plethora of content available so you'll never be bored mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff oh absolutely to, Two and a half years or something. Yeah, something like for everyone. Stuff. Uh, and it, Honestly. Yeah, and if there's anything else you want to see on the channel, any thoughts about this episode, you want to present more theories to us, you want to just tell us that we did a great job, you can email us at twistedmugmedia at gmail.com. Um, you can leave reviews on iTunes. Uh, you know, follow us on iTunes. We're on Spotify, uh, Podbean, just any way that you can, or as well as uh, reaching out to us on Instagram and Twitter. We would really, really just appreciate, um, you know, any any kind of comments or, or uh, feedback or questions or anything like that. We love to hear from you. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, thanks for sticking with us uh, for this episode. It's been a it's been a good run of seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. So I mean, these big episodes are over. Hopefully, we don't have to talk about this episode again. <laughs> we will not. We will not. Don't don't uh, speak it into existence. Okay. No. I'll knock on wood over here. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, again, thank you for listening, uh, and we'll see you next time. All right. I'm Matthew. I'm Logan. This has been Back in Style. It has. See you.